Good morning and welcome to The Ridge. We are so glad that you are joining us. I also hear we are back online again, so welcome those of you that are joining us online. Uh, We're glad that you're choosing to join us today as well. Um, We are wrapping up our sermon uh, series through the parables of Jesus uh, that we've been going through this summer. Now, I know it's not summer anymore, right? Those, those of you that are in the know know that uh, summer ended on Tuesday. Um, but we're going to do one more today, and then we'll start a new sermon series next week, as well as we'll be back with our Sunday morning small groups next Sunday, too. Uh, so we'd love for you to join us if you feel comfortable with that. Uh, but I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed uh, this time through the parables of Jesus. The parables are a lot of fun, uh, and so it's, it's been good to hear from all the, everyone, and uh, Pastor Roger, and Pastor Brad and Pastor Bob, and uh, it's just been good to be uh, kind of hearing different perspectives and things. So um, hopefully you've enjoyed it as well. So those of you that have been with us, you kind of probably know what a parable is by this point. Uh, but for a refresher, or if this is your first time with us or in this series, uh, what we have said, I guess you have to turn this on. There we go. What we have said is that the parables are a practical story, right? Often framed as a simile that illustrate a spiritual truth. So that's what a parable is. It's a practical story, sometimes framed as a simile, that has a spiritual truth. So it's very practical, but it has spiritual implications. If you were, uh, if you may be more familiar with this phrase, this is the phrase I grew up with, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus would often use these very earthly, very practical things that the people in that day would totally understand. A lot of farming analogies, that's who the people were at that time, uh, fishing analogies. But you tell these stories, but it wasn't just about the story. There was more to it. The stories illustrate something spiritual uh, that Jesus was trying to communicate. And oftentimes, they were about the kingdom. My two parables, or the two times I've shared, have been all uh, kingdom parables. So last time I was with you, I shared this definition of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It is the redemptive rule and reign of God in Christ. Um, And so what that means is, is that it's the rule of God in his son, Jesus Christ. Now, Christ isn't Jesus' last name, although we say Jesus Christ often like that. Christ is actually his title, title for Messiah, for king. And so the rule and reign of God, specifically through Jesus, the king, but it's not just a rule of any king. It is a redemptive rule, meaning his, his reign will save us all. All those who believe and follow him, it is going to restore the wrong that sin has done. It's a redemptive rule. Now, we are living today, the kingdom is a present reality. The kingdom is here. Um, Jesus preached his very first sermon, his very first message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What Jesus was saying is that wherever he goes, the reign of God goes. And so the kingdom has already been ushered into this earth and it is literally right here in this room, those of us who are followers of Jesus, because where Jesus is, the kingdom of God is. And through his spirit, Jesus lives in us and reigns over our heart. And where we go, we take the kingdom of God with us. But we also realize that it's also, it's, it's a future reality. One day, Jesus is literally going to return, and he is literally going to sit on the throne of his kingdom here on this earth, and his kingdom will be right here on this earth. And we live kind of in this crazy time between those times, where the kingdom of God is here, 
pushing against the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of Satan until one day Jesus conquers and his kingdom is complete. So we live in a kingdom that has been inaugurated, just hasn't been consummated yet. We live between those times. And so Jesus um, would talk about his kingdom and he wanted us to understand more about his kingdom and he would share these parables that would tell us about his kingdom. And so we're going to look at two parables this morning. Uh, They're very short. They're very similar. They both teach us about the kingdom. The first one is found in Matthew 13. They're both actually found in Matthew 13. But the first one is Matthew 13, verse 31. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there or you can follow along on the screen. It says this. It says, Jesus, he presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field it is the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the bird of the sky come and nest in its branches. So, what Jesus was crazily saying, I say crazy because it, I mean, think about this. This is a mustard seed. Yes, I have one in my finger. You can't see it from where you're sitting. I doubt that you can see it. There it went, and there it fell. Um, That's the fun things about these mustard seeds. But you might be able to see me drop them if I drop a bunch of them, right? Uh, There was some by the bulletins when you came in. You're more than welcome to take one. The fun thing will be to see how long you can hold on to it Uh, because I've lost several. The vacuum cleaner will find them later, hopefully. Uh, But what Jesus was saying is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is like this mustard seed. Oh, Jesus, that doesn't sound very impressive. See, a mustard seed was known by the people. It was the smallest seed that the people would know at the time. They didn't know of a, of a smaller seed at the time. And it's seemingly insignificant. But what Jesus was saying is that the kingdom of God, it starts that way. It's small and it's insignificant. But what he said is that, the ki- that just like a mustard seed, the kingdom grows large. He says, metaphorically, Jesus says, it grows to, to the place where it becomes a shelter. Now, those of you that have seen mustard plants, you know that here they grow, you know, maybe a tall one gets about as tall as, maybe as a person. And in India, I've seen them taller. But they're not, I've never seen a mustard seed that's so big, so strong, so tall that birds can nest in them. What Jesus is saying is that this is a unique mustard seed that will grow even more than what we've seen today, taller and even greater, that even things can, birds can have shelter in this. So the kingdom of heaven is like this mustard seed. Those of you that have been around mustard seeds, my dad was a gardener and he had mustard plants in his garden. He would use them for canning. The thing of you that maybe have mustard in your garden, you know this truth, that you don't have to replant it. It will grow back, and it will grow back. And if you're not careful, it will take over your garden. Because mustard actually is really a weed. It's an invasive plant. It will take over things. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's invasive to this world. It's designed to take over. It's designed to grow anywhere, everywhere, and reproduce continually. That's the kingdom growth. On the outside, the kingdom is expanding from an insignificant beginning to an extravagant end. See, for the people that day, it fit in really well because this isn't what they expected the Messiah to be like. Jesus, in their eyes, was pretty insignificant at this moment. 
He was born in a manger. He was not born in a king, king's castle. He had no, no throne, no crown. He was born in a manger to an insignificant family that no one had really heard of. They, he grew up in a very small town named Nazareth, which is like in the middle of nowhere up on the hill, and no one would go to Nazareth. In the, in the smallest, in most insignificant region of all of Israel, Galilee, nothing good can come out of Galilee. Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Right? Like, this was a small thing, insignificant in their eyes. And even at this point, his group of disciples were a small, ragtag group of disciples. Everyone's like, this fits really well with Jesus' beginnings. He goes on to give us another parable about the kingdom. In verse 33, he says, He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. So Jesus says that the kingdom of, of heaven is like yeast. That a person would put in to 50 pounds of dough uh, and mix it up. And from 50 pounds of dough, you could actually make about 100 or more, 150 or more loaves of bread. Then that day, um, you wouldn't go to the store and get a little packet of yeast. You would take a little bit of your dough that, from that 50 pounds and you would put it back and save it somewhere safe. And then the next time it was time to make bread you would take that dough that you had worked with the yeast before you would add it and then it would reproduce itself so the crazy thing is the legacy ongoing it's like the kingdom of heaven jesus uses a word to describe he says it's like leaven that a woman took and mixed into that word mixed into in the original language is this word cryptus in the greek which is where we get the word cryptic and crypt from what Jesus is saying is that you would hide the yeast into the dough. You take the flour and salt, other items, and the water, and then the yeast would go, and you wouldn't see it. You don't see yeast doing its work, but it's there. It's hidden. It takes yeast, goes inside. It transforms bread from the inside out. This is how the gospel of the kingdom affects us. It starts in our hearts, and then the kingdom transforms every facet of our life and eventually every corner of the earth as a little bit of the dough goes and does its work in another batch of bread, and another pit, bit of that dough gets put into another one, and it does its work. It transforms us inside us as well as through us. This is how the kingdom works. Though it starts out small, a promise is made of a remarkable harvest. Although it's hidden, it does its work and it makes the bread. Both of these parables are teaching us that the kingdom works by beginning in a small way and then growing into something great. And that's how the kingdom started. We historically see that. It started as a small seed. And we would see that power in a small group of disciples that by the time we get to them in Acts chapter 17, it is said about this when that small group of disciples show up that these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Powerful, yet small. And one day, we will see that kingdom in its full bloom. As Revelation tells us, the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ and he will reign forever 
and ever. One day, the kingdom of the world has, will become the kingdom of our Lord. It will be transformed. It will be changed. And Jesus will literally be sitting on the throne of this earth and His kingdom will be ever-present. And He will reign forever and ever. We will see that someday. Those of us who are followers of Christ will get to see that day of the kingdom in full bloom. But these parables also teach us that the kingdom is constantly at work in the hearts of people. That this parable teaches us that this kingdom has expanded and it will continue to expand until that day. I think these parables are a fitting end for our time in the parables even. Because the parables themselves are small, insignificant little practical stories that have powerful truth when they're placed in our heart. Now, in the context that Jesus was speaking to his group of disciples, we see two lessons from these parables that show us how the kingdoms work, how the kingdom works. First, it's small, but significant in its influence. Two, it starts off small, small beginning, but a large ending. That's right then there what these parables were teaching his disciples. But I think that for us, 2,000 years later, we can look back at these parables and see three principles from them. So I want to give you three principles from the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast. The first one is this. Our life should constantly be being transformed. Just as you put the yeast in with the flour and the water, it does its work if you work it. It transforms it. It changes it. I, I've seen people make bread. I've enjoyed people making bread as the final result. Um, but I do know that it is a chemical reaction. Yeast is, becomes a catalyst. It takes this, because you just have bread and water, you just have goop. You put bread, you put a little bit of yeast into that bread and water and do its work and you then knead it, as my mom would call it. Then that yeast will completely transform it. It's a completely different thing. And that's what yeast does. That's what, our, that's what the gospel does. The, the kingdom gospel does in our life. It starts in our heart. And it transforms our heart, the center of us. It changes our allegiance from the things of this earth, the things of this life, the things of this world, unto an allegiance only to Jesus, where our knee will only bow to King Jesus, and we will not tarry to the right nor to the left. We will only focus on Christ. Our heart is allegiant only to Jesus. We have sworn our allegiance only to the King of kings and nothing of this earth. But what starts at the heart go, doesn't stop there. It can't stop there. Yeast doesn't just start on a part of the, the dough. That wouldn't help you. You have to knead it and work it in there and watch it transform. It goes from our hearts to our thoughts. Scripture tells us that we are to take every thought captive. We've got to allow the gospel to change our thinking. My pastor growing up called it stinking thinking. Now, I haven't ever smelt anyone's thoughts. I have walked by some people and smelt other things about them, but I've never smelt their thoughts. What he meant was is that their thoughts were wrong. They weren't centered on the gospel, and those thoughts were keeping them from doing the things that God was calling them to do. Whether that was unpure thoughts, faithless thoughts, or unfaithful thoughts, 
they weren't keeping them captive by the gospel. They weren't working the dough. From our heart to our thoughts, it changes our beliefs. Our beliefs are a little different than our thoughts. Our beliefs is how we see the world. We gotta, our, the gospel has to change our belief system. We've got to stop looking at it with worldly eyes, earthly lot, eyes, secular eyes, and start looking at this, what we are, is around us with God-sized eyes, faith-filled eyes, where we see what God is wanting to do. From our heart to our thoughts to our beliefs to our affections, our affections are our passions. We need to continue to work the gospel into where the things that excite us now are the things of God, not the things of this world. We need to let the yeast work on our affections and passions from our heart to our thoughts, to our beliefs, to our affections, to our motives. Because it really does matter why we do what we do. The gospel should inform the reasons why we do what we do. Where we're not just doing it because it's religion. Because Christ has changed us. From our heart to our thoughts, to our beliefs, to our affections, to our motivations, and finally to our actions. It has transformed us so much that we will do no less than to obey what the king has commanded. That's what Paul is telling us throughout Scripture is that he writes in 2 Corinthians 5. He says it's this way. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. What once was just bread and water and salt, and it might have made some Play-Doh, you put some yeast in there, put it in the oven, you got something totally different. I, I don't, I, you just got some Flour and water, I'm not excited about that. You mixed a little yeast in it and then you do the work, you've got something completely different in your hands. That's, that's who we are in Christ. He goes on to say it this way in Philippians. He says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it unto, into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, We may be in a time and a place where we're like, man, is God doing anything? Yes, he's doing something. You're a new creation, and he's not done with you yet. He's going to change you, shape you, transform you. But we have to let the yeast do its work by working the dough. It's what Peter will tell us in 2 Peter 1 verse 5, beginning in verse 5, going to verse 8, he says this, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what Paul is, what Peter is saying is you've got to work the dough. You've got to knead it. You can't just take the gospel and then do nothing with it. You take it in your faith, you add some goodness. With goodness, knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with endurance. Endurance with godliness. 
Godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And you got something in your hands that God can use that's useful and fruitful. We should never stop being transformed. When I was a young Christian, teenage Christian, I thought that probably by the time I was 30, I would have the Christian life figured out. I'm 37, and what I've discovered now is that I have less of the Christian life figured out today than I did when I was a teenager. Because it's a work. We've got to keep working until the day of completion. The second principle I want you to see from these parables is this. The gospel must not stop with us. Just like you take one mustard seed, you're going to get a harvest from it. That's what God wants from us. We can't let the gospel stop with us. This won't be on the screen, but I want you to listen to Acts chapter 6. Bear with me for just a second. You'll see how, you, at the very beginning, you're like, how does this have anything to do with mustard seed? Just hold on, you'll see it. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it, Luke recounts this in the early church. He says, In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there was a complaint about, by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of disciples and said, It would be not right for us to give up the preaching of the word to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, who, can appoint to, who we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company. In verse 5 it says this, So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. In verse 7, here's where you see the mustard seed. So the word of God spread. And a large group of priests, I'm sorry, So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. And even a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. See, that's what a mustard seed does. It spreads. It increases greatly. In verse 5, what we see is what happens is that the, the kingdom advancement stops just being the responsibility of the apostles And it moves to everyday believers. Now those seven men in verse 5, today we call them deacons. But they were just regular men. There was nothing special about them. There was no credentials listed other than they were filled with the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. And they stopped just hanging on and started being a part of something. See, the movement of God's kingdom gets out of control when ordinary people do the supernatural things ordered by God. These seven deacons stopped being a part of something awesome and started being the cause of something awesome. And then we read their accounts. We read about Stephen and what God does with him. We read about Philip and how his impact affects the Ethiopian eunuch who we are told historically affects almost all of Africa. The Holy Spirit did something supernatural in an ordinary person's life who just started by signing up to serve tables. That's what they did. 
They started by signing up to serve tables. Just a mustard seed. And God took it and increased greatly. From this small band of disciples across years and oceans, some 2,000 years later, here we are because the mustard seed has grown. Small, but in God's economy, completely different, consistent, faithful. The last principle I want you to see from this is don't overlook then small beginnings. We like big things. We like everything big, right? Supersize it. And in in Christianity, in the United States, that's what we like. We often think about the big things. Lots of people, hundreds, thousands of people, stadiums, arenas filled with people. Hundreds coming to Christ. Big evangelists, televangelists, big evangelism, lights, concerts, famous people. But as you can see in Scripture, this is not how God usually begins. He starts with something small but powerful. I obviously wasn't there, but here's what I've been told. When Roger first got here to the ridge, there was just a few handful of people. I was told today that the joke was every family had their own room. I wasn't obviously there when the church decided to move from the hill down to here into this big building. Basically, guys, in the middle of nowhere. In the eyes of the, of the world, small, insignificant. Now, and not because the, the ridge is such a great place, our awesome, our Roger is so awesome. Now, the ridge is a really great place, and Roger is really awesome. But because of our great, glorious God, what was a mustard seed has grown. That's the way God works. That's what he does. This is how he moves. In Senegal, West Africa, where we go, there's a phrase that's used by the national Christians there. It's called it's Sarah, Sarah. What it means, translated as little by little, or little, little, but little by little. And this is often repeated to me by the national Christians because I'm the type of person who wants, I want to keep going, I want big things, I want to see action, I want to, or I want to see results. What little, Sarah, Sarah, little by little means is not little work. What it means is a lot of work, but slow, small steps, tedious steps. Because there in that country, it takes a lot for someone to follow Christ because it could literally mean their life. It's slow and it's tedious, but it's real and authentic. Sarah, Sarah, little by little. That's how God works. That's how he moves. So let me ask you, in your own life, what right now God might be doing might look small right now. And you might be struggling. You might not be seeing what God's wanting to do. You may, you may be like me, and you're like, 
God, I don't, I don't see the change in my life that I think I should be seeing. Keep kneading. Keep working the dough. God, you may, you may be seeing somewhere in your life where it's like, this is, this is so small and so sig- insignificant. Keep trusting the process of the, the seed. Or you may not see anything at all. We don't see the work of the yeast, but it works. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to see things with God-sized eyes, with faith-filled eyes, that what God is doing in your life is not insignificant just because it's small. God does his greatest work hidden in small things with small beginnings. Or maybe it's in your family right now. It may seem small. It may seem so far away from the vision that you feel that God has given you for your family. Things may seem completely off track right now. Work the dough. Keep trusting. Keep going. Keep working the yeast into the dough. Or maybe you're looking around in our community and you're like, man, what is going on in our community or in our nation? It might seem so small, but we keep trusting that the seed that God has planted will continue to grow. Even during this crazy COVID coronavirus time, right? We may be looking, I've heard people look back or make statements like, man, it just seems like such a wasted time. Like 2020, such a waste. Right? Like, that's the ongoing statement right now. I mean, and if you think about it, it looks like a waste. It looks insignificant. I mean, there was weeks where we couldn't meet in this building. And even now, we're just, we've took a step forward and taken a step back, and we're just now gearing back up. Right? There was a time where we didn't have anywhere we could go or anything we could do. And it looks small. It looks insignificant. It looks like, man, God's not doing anything. But when it looks like on the outside that God's not doing anything, that's when God does his greatest work. I'm convinced that this time of COVID coronavirus could be the time that God does his greatest work. You're like, that's crazy, Brad. Well, it's not crazy if we take the, the dough and we work it during this time. You see, there's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. There might not even be trick-or-treating, right? Sorry. I heard a gasp. But what if instead of whatever news we favor, whether it's on the right or on the left, we turned it off? And stopped listening to how bad everything was. Or how bad this person is. Or how bad that person is and how wrong they are, and how right they are? Or what if we stopped being influenced by influencers on social media and stopped listening to their opinions or even trying to share our opinions that we think that everyone really wants to hear? No one wants to hear your opinion. We're tired of everyone's opinion. Right? And we took that away. And instead we got on our knees and we listened to whose opinion really matters about life. And the kingdom. And we worked that bread. 
by spending time in his word. We worked that bread by spending time in prayer. God could take what might seem insignificant, small, wasted, and do his greatest work in your life. What often starts small begins, ends big. The hidden work, the hard work. We don't grow weary. As it, and I want to ask you if anyone's ever heard of the name Edward Kimball. I and mean, that's not fair. You've already heard it. <laughs> Has anyone heard Edward Kimball before? We've had one person so far today in the first service. And it's okay if you've never heard that name. Most people haven't. Edward Kimball was just a Sunday school teacher a long time ago to a group of rowdy teenage boys. Just a small thing. But he didn't only just want to teach them about the Bible. He wanted to teach them to follow the Jesus of the Bible by fully embracing this gospel and following Christ. And just like any group of teenage boys, there's always that one, right? That one that's just a little more rowdy than the whole group. What? And then for Edward, there was this one boy who he just felt just didn't understand the gospel. And God pressed on his heart. And so Edward Kimball went, found out that this young man was working at a department store. And he went to that department store one Saturday night. And basically he cornered him in the stock room where he had to listen. But in that stock room, on that Saturday night, that young man fully understood for the first time. And he got on his knees and he embraced Jesus and he started following him. That young man's name was Dwight L. Moody. Now that's a name that you may have heard of, but it's okay if you haven't. Dwight L. Moody would be involved in ministry and thousands in his, literally thousands would come to Christ during Moody's ministry, including a man by the name of Wilbur Chapman. Now you're like, I, you probably haven't heard the name Wilbur Chapman before, but Wilbur Chapman would come to be influenced by Moody and he would start his own ministry. One day, a pro professional, well, that's the same thing, right? A pro, a pro baseball player came to hear Wilbur Chapman. And he was so impacted by what he heard, he wanted to give up playing baseball. And he started wanting to join Wilbur Chapman in doing ministry and doing evangelistic crusades. And this man started doing that. His name was Billy Sunday. You may have heard that name. It's okay if you haven't. Billy Sunday went out on his own doing evangelistic crusades. And one day at one of his evangelistic crusades, another young man by the name of Mordecai Ham, cool name, Mordecai. Mordecai Ham came and heard. He chose to follow Jesus and he chose to do what Billy Sunday was doing. In fact, I'm told that Mordecai Ham was just a crazy evangelist. He was bold. He might even what some would consider brash. He was known for getting a hearse and driving it through the center of town and with signs that said, this is where you're going to end up one day. Do you know Jesus, right? Pretty bold, pretty brash. But Mordecai was coming to the town of Charlotte, North Carolina for a series of revival meetings. And there was a sandy-haired, lanky teenage boy in that town 
who vowed to not go to those meetings to hear Mordecai Ham. But what he didn't know is that his father had joined a group of men the night before. And they got in a circle and on their knees they prayed that during this time of revival meetings that God would save someone who would then go and share the gospel among the nations. Well, at the last minute, this sandy-haired, lanky teenage boy decided to, sh- to go hear Mordecai Ham. And what he heard was that understanding of the gospel in such a way he had never heard it before, that it compelled him and it captivated him and he was captivated by the gospel and captivated by Christ and he chose to follow Jesus. His friends knew him as Billy Frank. You know him today as Billy Graham. And he would literally see millions come to Christ in his ministry. But it started with what was probably, in many people's eyes, a small, insignificant Sunday school teacher with a group of rowdy teenage boys. Small, not insignificant in the kingdom. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, Lord, this morning... I'm so thankful for your gospel. I'm so thankful for the truth that your gospel can really change our entire life. That when we follow you and we trust in you as our Lord and Savior and we swear to you complete allegiance as our King, you will change us from the inside out. Lord, I I am also thankful for a man by the name of Kenny Jones who showed up to my house when I was just a four-year-old little boy and got on his hands and knees and played with this race car track in the middle of our living room. As he would share with my family about getting back into church and as a result of that, My family got back into church and a few years later I chose to follow you all because of what some people would say was silly and funny and goofy and small. But for me, it's life-changing. I thank you for those small touches by so many faithful servants across my life. Lord, I'm, I'm thankful for the people in this room who are like them, faithful, consistent in the small things. Would you help them to not grow weary in their well-doing? Would you help them to continue to see the small touches, the small things of their life being used by you for your great glory? And God, this morning, if there's someone here who is struggling with what, looking at their life and going, God, are you doing anything? I don't see you at work. Or would they have eyes that would be open to God-sized, faith-filled vision of what you want to accomplish in them. And Lord, would they begin working the dough of the yeast of the gospel into their life and seeing you work in them. Lord, would you take their small mustard seed and make it a part of your great kingdom. 
This morning, if you're here and you've never followed Christ, you've never surrendered your life to him, I will be at the back of the room. Pastor Bob, Pastor Roger is back there. We'd love to share with you how you this morning can choose to follow Jesus. If you're here this morning, there's some things that you need prayer for, prayed with. We would love to do that as well. But this week, I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you to not look at things with earthly eyes and see small things, but see them with kingdom eyes and see the significance of what God is doing. This week, there might be someone in your life that he places where it's just a word. It's an it's a act of service. It's a show of love where that small little step could have kingdom impact on their life. I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you to stop seeing things as small. Start seeing them with kingdom eyes. David's going to close us in a song. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy the news. He's faithful.